everyone and welcome back to another Trek This Out pod. So I am Sarah and I'm your host this week and I am delighted to introduce uh, the rest of the uh, the Motley crew that are uh, helping to run this smooth, uh, well-engineered ship. So we'll start with Suki. Suki, how are you doing? I, I can't believe that's a description that you're saying about our podcast. Smooth <laughs> and, you know, well-run but uh, the Motley Crew bit, I understand, but the rest of it, <laughs> but yeah, I'm fine, thank you, Sarah. Good, and Andrea, how are you doing? Um, I'm not the effervescent best, to, I'm not very well tonight, but um, I'm here for the, our precious listeners, um, and I missed last week, so I can't miss two in a row, otherwise I think I might be relegated, so I am here. And I'm sure even uh, in your convalescence, you will outshine us all, Andrea. <laughs> Uh, and Deb, how are you doing, Deb? I'm Deb Green, and I fly this ship. <laughs> Do you heck like? What, what's, you the opposite? Like? what's the opposite of fly? Um, <laughs> crash. crash! Crash! Yeah, I sabotage the ship. Oh I think, um, by the way, uh, Andrea's been very, um, very brave. She's been uh, eaten by some extraterrestrial insect that has uh, infected her veins and is making her um some um being taken over by some alien being she's so, well, not the only one so sarah by sounds of it well it. no but i mean i'm I'm very concerned now mine definitely uh is is not the same so um uh hopefully neither of us will have uh, strange beings erupting from our skin this evening and we can get through this unscathed nanoprobes isn't it <laughs> nanoprobes that's what we all need your saddles it's gonna get a little choppy scans can't penetrate rigel 7's atmosphere this is an undercover recon operation enterprise needs to clean up its own mess this isn't a normal planet the radiation affects your brain who are you i don't know that doesn't sound good time loss fear and then you forget help we need help So we are here tonight to uh, discuss Strange New Worlds uh, episode, season two, episode four, uh, Among the Lotus Eaters. So uh, if we just start with our initial thoughts, and I'm going to go in reverse order now, so we'll start with Deb. After the um, reading about uh, Homer's Odyssey, I just didn't get it on the first first um, watch. I didn't get it. I really didn't like it. I found it quite disturbing and weird. And then I read all about Homer um, Odyssey and how it's all down to um, nice tasting donuts. And it means it, it means everything now. I get it. Uh, and uh, yeah, I quite like it. So it spoke to you on a much deeper level once you realised there were donuts involved. Yes. 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 And what about you, Andrea? 
So I did get the Odyssey reference. Um, it was something I was I was brutally forced to study in sixth form, um, which I'd, my takeaway was it was just a bunch of apathetic ancient stoners who were just like yes. <laughs> just doing lots of gear and, and forgetting where they were meant to be, which kind of appealed to us as a 17-year-old, I've got to be honest. Um, I felt like it was a very TOSC episode, and that tends to make me happy. Um, it, it definitely had a bit of an old-school series vibe. Um, and I think there was, I, I think there was still a message in there, um, and I've, I've got some ideas about that, but I'll save those for later. And Suki, I didn't get the whole. I didn't know what how the Homer reference was, so one of you will have to explain that to me later. But uh, yeah, I enjoyed the episode up to a point. I just didn't like the way the characters started to act after they started losing the memories. And uh, especially Pike. Pike was really aggressive in this. And I, I, I even, I just, I don't know, he's just a little bit off for me. So I'm going to say he was enjoyable up till the bit when he got really uncomfortable. And actually, I mean, we'll, we'll come to it, but um, those scenes towards the end were, were really quite uncomfortable um, in terms of kind of what we know and expect from um, Pike as a captain. Um, yeah. Right, I can't lie, I really struggled with this episode. So um, I'm going to try and be constructive and not unkind and nitpicky, um, but I really struggled with it. So I, having a, a, done a two and a half hour round trip to deposit my children off at a scout camp at the weekend, I was really, really looking forward to getting back, cracking open a cold can of cider and watching Strange New Worlds because I loved last week's. Um, so I was really excited and it just, yeah, I, I have, I have thoughts and issues. So it definitely was not my favourite episode. Um, I did get the reference, but I still didn't like it. And there was lots of, um, I don't know, I just kept thinking about The Wizard of Oz quite a lot, which I think was a bit off-putting. Explain the reference of it because I'm, I'm, I'm I just don't get it. I, I didn't get the we'll reference. Let Deb go, Deb, go for it. The, well, I think we're all going to have our own interpretations. But if you want to know about lotus eaters, and I'm sure Andrea will have a different take. What I read uh, was well, generally lotus eaters are seen a person who spends their time indulging in pleasure and luxury rather than practical concerns. But the story of Homer. Um, it's a bit like donuts. Um, they went to this island and they were fed this delicious lotus fruit. Uh, whether it was um, a, some sort of dope or you know it was they were stoned, I don't know, but it was delicious. A bit like the um, Darwin and the giant tortoises, really. Um, they loved them so much that they um, didn't want to go home and they they wanted to stay on the island and uh, and not leave so they were in the here and now um and um so odysseus had to actually physically remove them from the island onto the ship to get them to go home in that sense it's it's um i guess this is the way i well i mean i i mean i'm sure we'll go into it but the fact that the um uh, what Luke is saying about being in the here and now, just just go with it. Don't worry about everything else. That they were um, they they were ignoring or forgetting their family and all the things that they had at home, and uh, until uh, being reminded. Do you think that um, 
because as I say, I, I, I want to try and get the best out of this episode for me as well. Um, do you think that the reason that um, La'an and Benga and Pike kind of fought so hard against it is because they had that, their sense of duty is so ingrained. It makes up so much of their identity that they always knew there was something they had to be doing and that it wasn't acceptable to just sit back and let it all happen to them. I think it's just because they had lost their memories and they're scared they're in that position that they don't know what they're doing. Uh, and they just want to carry on uh, with their muscle memory as uh, such. And they, they'll, 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 all their stuff that they've been trying to do, they'll just kick in and they'll ca carry on with what they've got to do. Uh, so I think that might be why they were trying to get back their memories. Um, I think I think their friendship and their relationships was a bit of an enduring thing um, because they didn't remember each other, they didn't know each other, but yet when Pike fought the guard, Lan joined in um, and Benga became really concerned about trying to save someone. So I think even though their kind of their memory of those kind of relationships, there was still an enduring connection, um, which is what I kind of took away. A bit like the way they played it with sort of Pike and the necklace and thinking there's somebody I, I, I really kind of who was given us this, who obviously means a lot to us, and even if they couldn't sort of explicitly remember them, it was about those those feelings almost that kind of bound people together. So I, th I thought that was a bit of a theme. Because I really hated, I not hated the episode, but I found I really uncomfortable with lots of bits of the episode. It didn't help that a, a good friend of mine has just gone into a nursing home this week with um, Alzheimer's. Um, and, and and other things anyway but um but once i got over that i mean and i i read around it a bit and i watched it again um uh, if you have amnesia apparently your your gut feelings still remain so you will remember like mabenga remembered that he was a carer of some some sort but uh i know we're getting into this a, a bit early but um but to me it in the end it was about love and uh um memories are what was it um some memories are worth the pain of others mabenga said uh, you and um, zach uh, no no um uh, luke says the story of your life matters thank you for bringing my family back and originally i'm too afraid of the pain to remember the past and um and pike um <sighs> he he split up from uh Batel because it was complicated. He didn't want to take the risk because he was going to be hurt. So I think there were two things. So one thing, um, love is worth grief, even though it doesn't feel like that. But also um, it's worth taking risks in going for their relationship. That's what I got from it in the end. But I know many other people see it differently. And I was just going to say, I think for me, I think there was those kind of really obvious things we can draw on about things like dementia and stuff. But for me, I think the sort of overarching message was about like knowledge. And if you think there was an elite in a castle who possessed the knowledge, who understood what was happening to people, who understood how to prevent it and kept that knowledge to themselves and kept everyone else in ignorance. So I think it was far more about sort of the importance of knowledge about sort of who gets to have that knowledge in society about how people gatekeep knowledge so i think that was for me i think the big theme was really was about 
the sort of the, the people who know and the people who don't know and and about elitism uh, I, I think there was a, a big thing in there I think that was a, a huge part of the theme for me I just I love that I love that we've got completely different ideas and obviously you you know um Sarah and Suki you've you've got different things from it as well that's made me love it even more it's good that you that we've been left thinking about it really it's not going to be my favorite episode but that makes me really exciting yeah. as well I did like the line well I, I you know to Pike this access I thought you were just going to wander around the fields and get lost but yeah of course you were going to start a revolution yes yeah. I, I think for me um I've yeah I absolutely Andrea I, I completely agree I, I took it more from from that kind of angle um I, I mentioned kind of flippantly at the beginning that it really reminded me of the Wizard of Oz and there were lots of different bits of it that really reminded me of the Wizard of Oz but actually that's one of the issues that comes out of that film as well is this idea about the great big powerful Oz who kind of has is a you know benign dictator of the Emerald City, you know, everyone's very happy, but they've got this person who holds all the power and the knowledge. Also, for me, that idea of um, it was kind of reminiscent of, um, you know, the film Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, um, yeah. Jim Carrey and Elijah Wood and Kate Winslet in that one. Um, that idea that actually we can just just forgetting um, the painful things that happen to us um, will make everything all right. Interestingly, I didn't get Yellow Brick Road and uh, A Wizard of Oz from anything apart from when uh, Otagus says, where do I live? And the sat-nav came on and said, follow the yellow lights. And I yeah. started going, follow the yellow brick road. <laughs> but, I, I was already well on my way by that point. It was as soon as we uh, got to the castle. I was like, I expected the Wicked Witch to come flying <laughs> out of it. As soon as you said Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, I remembered all about that film, about how they, he just wanted to lose his memories and all the painful memories but in the end he ends up losing basically everything everything that really mattered to him. and then you see um and then you see, I, I can see this happening with that luke there luke has basically decided he just wants to forget about his past uh, and the painful memories but he he ends up losing a lot more because he, he isn't living as a person you can see him he's not living as a person because all he's doing is just going from one sort of existence to the same sort of existence of following day because he's not learning anything he's not forgetting anything as such and he's and the painful memories and the happy memories that he might have collated right over the over his life they're just not there right so he's not uh, growing as a person he's just sitting in his own uh, living in his own shell basically so i think one of the, the sort of closest comparisons i've kind of got in star trek is i think it's a bit like the omega glory um you've got the left behind starfleet guy who goes rogue and um, so there's captain tracy who's left on there he kind of in that he kind of thinks that the cure for sort of eternal youths there because these people live a long time um not being able to return to the ship because it, it's been affected by some kind of like radiation so i think in a lot of ways it was very similar and they really kind of dragged that illusion out to the point where you know that it's like it's earth but at a different point in time so they kind of come out with the stars and stripes and and it gets really really silly towards the end of the episode but um i think there was a little bit of that with the sort of the man left behind and what happens when you do get left behind by starfleet and i would imagine you would get quite bitter and quite angry quite quickly so i think that was quite understandable and we have kind of seen that before i was thinking how could they leave behind you know 
did they could they not scan the planet did they not look a bit harder and then i realized how many phaser rifles they left behind and i thought that's the, you know leaving zach behind was the small bit how many how many phaser rifles did they take did they not count them when they came back well, that's a, that's a similar thing in the Omega Glory because obviously he's got the phasers, um, so he's shooting all of the kind of locals that are attacking the village, and um, so that that's definitely been a thing before. Um, and I'm not even going to start on the Prime Directive because I think we're going to get there at some point. <laughs> <laughs> the the phasers. Now, what sort of position did uh, Zach hold within uh, Pike's crew? Was he an engineer or somebody? within that uh, sort of uh, ability to be able it's to manufacture his own phases. Yeoman, it said. Or he might have been a genius yeoman that decided he could manufacture phases, especially if they've a couple of them lying around and just say, look, follow this design and we'll make some air uh, guns. And so... The, but it, they're, they're pre-industrial, aren't they? So they wouldn't have had the facilities to do that unless they've accidentally dropped a replicator... <laughs> the well. left it from the house behind. Yeah, I mean, I, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Like, how much kit did they take down? I mean, down with them, and they were they were obviously taken by surprise by the force with which they were met in that first in that first landing. So I think the lifespan of the fears is quite an interesting because that comes up in this the the Omega Glory as well because. I think he has maybe like three phases and they take out like thousands of these like sort of savage hordes that are running at the village. Um, and all he wants really to defeat like all of these that is he wants 10 more. So I, I guess they must have it in some spare batteries. I think three spare batteries is all he wants to kind of um, fend off the hordes. So so they must be, they must have a pretty good lifespan. And yet in Picard, Beverly's run out after like, 30 seconds so <laughs> I think it must depend which brand you get there must be some differences ever ready and I, and I think actually in terms of the prime directive um like actually just leaving the body behind is quite significant like because that's still contamination isn't it leaving the dead behind who don't belong there and not the same species they should they would have made an effort to get you know pick at least pick up their their dead as a leaving why didn't they? What can, has this mission been on the telly? Have we? Have I missed this mission? Pre-cage. Yeah, they refer about. Um, this this is more um, Andrea's territory. <laughs> Andrea, shall we get the cage out the way? Because I've got lots. Yeah, of yeah. We see. We seem to sort of moved on to deeper thoughts anyway. So we've we've seg segued off quite nicely. Let's continue. Uh, so obviously Rigel 7 is it, this throwback in the cage where you see him talk about a fight like, he's kind of he's been there and you see this like flashback of him in this castle so I think the flashback to the castle is the mission they're talking about that happened five years ago that you don't see I, I think that's the mission that they're on about so I think there's, there's quite a lot of things mentioned like like Vega colony like they've got to get there with the people who are injured that gets mentioned in both um, Spot gets injured that, that's kind of quite consistent across the two um, so I think the mission that they talk that number one mentions that they did kind of five years ago is what we see in the cage in both of them Pike kind of concedes that he mucked up a little bit so I think in this one he mentions that we shouldn't have gone in uniform um, in the cage he says something about I should have smelled trouble before um, when I saw the swords or whatever um, so so I definitely think this is meant to be the mission that 
it is kind of he's thrown back to in the cage is what they were mentioning there but not this one he even says this is a cage um i think they're very much kind of leading us there so i think that they're very much kind of playing on that episode but i definitely think that the mission they talk about what we don't see is the one that's flashback in the cage so that was my my take on that one i I tried watching the cage because i thought it, it would be doing good homework uh, it was quite late at night, and um, my um, my Amazon Fire Stick crashed halfway through. But apart from laughing my head off when Captain Pike goes into his room, calls the doctor in, and lies seductively on the bed, and the doctor um, um, offers to make him a martini. Yeah, I mean, and the guys with the big—that's the thing as well. I was watching—I watched original Trek when I was about six, and I was terrified by these figures that come on at the beginning. And um, I've been too scared to watch it since. But so, that's, that's, your, uh, that's your payback for my Perry. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm never going to be able to watch that episode in the same way now. I have never, <laughs> I never thought I, of I it that way no before. I responsibility that it, what <laughs> Pike says. What you, you know, after I left, whatever you do is, is down to you. But there was two bits. It was, there was one bit, which I thought, unless I dreamt it, where um, number one doesn't go on the mission and he's sent back in the same way Ortigas does. And also somebody at the beginning, which, again, doesn't seem to fit, you know, so did I do that report for you? And they go, yeah, or something like that. And they, those things sort of out of the blue come into this episode, unless I dreamt it. I was just going to say, if you really kind of want to go to the next one, um, I think what South Park did with the Telosians and, and um, perhaps turned the owner of a, a large company that delivers things into to one of them. <laughs> but that'll like really like kill it off, I think, because I can't watch now and not think, hi, Jeff. <laughs> Excellent. I had uh, some of the feedback came through and um, somebody mentioned Rival 7 then the cage and this is before I ended up watching the episode so I ended up watching this Gene at Roddenberry introduced cage pilot extended version but I only got up to about I think about 30 minutes in 25 30 minutes in before I had to family matters got in the way so I was quite on so I didn't understand what that had to do with this episode now i know andrew gave me an explanation but halfway through my your, what you was telling me i suddenly had a family matter happen so i missed most of that so i will catch this up when i'll listen to the podcast later <laughs> but so i'm hoping to catch up with everything later go on Deb. now this is just kind of jiggy now because i watched half about 30 minutes in when the amazon fire stick crashed um so i'm just wondering if there's something creepy about this episode that we can only watch 30 minutes of the cage before something stops us. What's, what's that film, The Ring? <laughs> <laughs> Andrea, you put your hand up and then got fed up. I was alluding to spooky things. It was just mm-hmm. a... Uh, okay, so let's go back to the ship. So we've, we've, we will come back to the planet because obviously that's sort of where everything climaxes. But let's go back to the ship. Um... So my initial issue with this, I, I had I had lots of issues. Um, we could tell. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't understand why Mbenga. Um, I, I get why Laan is a high choice for for her combat skills, and I get that Mbenga 
has combat skills because of his past and we saw him sparring last week. I don't understand why he was the only other person apart from La'an that might possibly be able to do hand-to-hand combat at that level. Like, I think he made the point really well, which is, I am a doctor, I don't understand why I'm here. Oh, the actor's got a black belt. Really? Is that it? I kind of like it. I like it. As I said last week, he's the war doctor. I was just going to say, I don't understand why he didn't pack those, like, space roids that he had the other week, because, like, they seem to, like, work really well in hand-to-hand combat, so... You know, I don't know why they didn't stick some of those in the bag. Yeah, but he'd forgotten his memory. No, I understand why he took him, uh, because they needed hand-to-hand combat uh, in a primitive society. They couldn't use phasers. And he takes his two best fighters with him, and that's going to be Lan and Mbenga. And at the same time, Mbenga's medical knowledge will come in useful. Um, yeah, I, ju- I just don't buy that Mbenga is the only other choice in a ship full of staff like i'm not saying he wouldn't be a top choice but just considering he is your physician and you're taking him down to a what is potentially a dangerous area i would probably choose someone a bit more red shirty but there we go i mean having so i mean i i really like the way the mabengas um story is holding out and i think that we are going to know more about a, a really dark past that he's been through and uh, he is definitely uh, built out of war and, and he's seen some pretty um, horrific things but also where did number one go because I mean she's supposed to be genetically modified she's she should be pretty good in 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 a conflict situation but she turns up at the beginning and then swans off somewhere leaving Otagus and uh, and and Spock on the bridge I was just going to say she was affected by the memory loss so she was you know she was one of the crew members that had been to uh, told to uh, probably stay in sick bay out of the way, so she wasn't going to be. Whereas Spock probably had a bit more willpower, and Ortega's didn't seem to be affected at that time. Then pair were both on the bridge. Yeah, but she was quite happy to send Ortega's off, who was the only person who could possibly fly the bridge. But all of a sudden, she's now like suitable for escorting someone to sick bay and back, like. See, Uhura and uh, Ortega's, they're, they're mates, aren't they? They're, they're close mates. So when, as soon as Ortega says she needs to go, you're going to send a mate to look after her. And, and, oh, and you, you I heard. knew you guys would help me. Yeah, and, and then it all out for me. And then you've got uh, that little little sentence that uh, Una says to Ortega's, I used to fly this ship before you did. I used to fly the Enterprise. And you remember going back to the cage, she's sitting there at... Ortega's station, she was the pilot back yeah. in the day. But why so couldn't she do that while Ortega's was on the planet then? Because Ortega's was a more skilled pilot to be able to uh, navigate okay. through the uh, the asteroid field. All right, I'll, I'll let that one go then. Uh, Andrea? So I kind of felt for Ortega's this week because first it's like, yeah, you're not coming on the mission, you're like being left behind, like the last toy in the shop. Um, and I felt like she came very, very close to like just telling Spock to shut the fuck up, and I wouldn't really have blamed her because he really, really didn't read the room there. 
Um, and then it's like, well, I'll fly the ship. And it's like, well, I'm number one and I flew the ship before you. So sod off down to sick bay and make yourself useful. And, and I, I guess they kind of built that up to like someone feeling like completely like, what's the point of me? I'm totally undervalued. And um, for them not to, and actually the ship told her what to do. It was like, she was like, oh, I'll fly the ship. Um, and it did kind of fit because it is kind of a physical motion, isn't it? And what they were saying is you would retain that. So, yeah. so it, it kind of, it was a bit hand wavy, but I think it was quite fun. And I'm quite pleased she got a moment. But at the same time, I feel like she got a moment and we still don't know anything else about her because we knew she flew the ship. We knew she flew the ship last week and the week before. And so... I'm kind of waiting for a bit more development now. I would like to say I think everyone else has had a little bit more character development. So I'm I'm quite looking forward to to just Erica getting her moment to shine, I think. I think we need that. We knew she flew the ship, but we didn't have any inkling that that wasn't satisfying her at this point. And I guess that's what this episode introduced is just that slight little bit of well, all I do is fly the ship and actually I'm so good at it, it's a bit dull. Thank you very much. Um yeah, that's a fair point. I mean, maybe, um, maybe to sort of reaffirm that she she really likes flying the ship, but um, but I I think Ategus is one of my favourite characters. I love Spock the way that uh, Ethan Peck plays him, mm. uh, and it always makes me laugh every episode. But but also, uh, I wrote down on my notes. I really hope that Erica gets to wear a very cool hat in the next episode. Yes. <laughs> I love the line about that. That was she, so good. The the hairstyle. Did you know? Did is it me? Did, did her hairstyle sort of change between her being on the bridge and then when she went into um, going uh, in the uh, the clothes for the Planet Rogue Seven? Yes, her hairstyles seemed to have changed slightly just for like two or three I scenes. I thought they all had a much shorter strip. But I wasn't sure because I'd noticed her hair and then I looked at Pike and I thought he had a much shorter strip as well. But I might have been, yeah, I'm I might just, be making that up. I'm just wondering if they such scenes out of order or on another episode just yeah. to uh, bridge something there. I did notice, but I thought they just kind of brushed the front down. Oh, oh maybe. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. It a bit softer. I did notice it was different, though. I think she did a great job at what she was given. It just really smelt of um, t American teenage uh, sitcom, um, the kind of awful things that my children used to watch when they were much younger. So I think she did what she was asked to do, and I think she did it well, but it was, it was so hammy. It was so, so hammy. And the co I don't know the comedy for me. I think they were trying to be funny, but because it was all like we quite sad and serious, it just missed the mark for me. Mate, well, the comedy was towards the beginning of the episode, so they might they might have just realised it's maybe this episode is going to be really dark and it's going to be dour, so we need to put some lighter moments in. And I think that and that was the only scene. No, the the other scene that was really a comedic moment was Ohora uh, saying she had oatmeal. And then when they come through with the six more people uh, suddenly come down with memory loss, <laughs> it's definitely not the outmail. All right. Uh, yeah, but so, yeah, there was just some little lighter moments just to alleviate all the misery that was in this episode. And it was my miserable. Bit, my other bit I really loved and I don't think I was supposed to find it funny was, uh, <laughs> I'm sure I wasn't, is when Ortega makes it to deck six. And all the crew are kind of just bumbling around like deranged Robovacs, like <laughs> kind of 
bumping into walls because they don't know that their walls are there anymore. It's like that no one else has had the sense to actually go into a room, even if it's not their room. I just, <laughs> it just, it really made me laugh and it made me laugh again today when I rewatched it. It just was, yeah, I don't think it was meant to be funny. I think it was meant to be a bit tragic, but it, it made me giggle. The the bit, the bit that made me fun, uh, laugh, well, small in that scene is when uh, Chapel sees Ortega and they both look at each other thinking, and you think there's going to be a moment where they sort of recognise each other and then Chapel just does a, yes. a, a 45 degree, 90 degree turn and just walks off in the other direction and just leaves it behind. Yeah, the bit that made me smile was we're heartless, aren't we? Mabenga um, and Pike were stood around uh, Lan, who um, who was grabbing uh, the blood in the oh, you know, stop the blood flow. Like you have to be a doctor to know that. But stop, and then they start talking about um, uh, her dying, and she's like, "I'm not dead yet. I'm not dead yet." <laughs> and it just reminds me of Auntie Pike and the Holy Grail, where they go, "Bring out your dad." You know. <laughs> I'm not dead yet. Oh. <laughs> just shut up. Oh my days. I, I just I want to give a huge shout out for Pike's hair this week because <laughs> my hair doesn't stay how I put it in the distance I walk from the bedroom down the stairs to like go out the house, and yet his didn't move after he spent a night in a cage on a radiated planet. <laughs> not a hair out of place. It's like. You know, he must use the stronghold stuff. That's all I've got to say. Because, like, you know, it must hurt when he lies down. <laughs> I, I just, and, and, of course, isn't the answer always radiation? Yeah. If in doubt, it's radiation, some sort of radiation, we just have to work out where it's coming from. If only we knew that we just have to wear at. Well, <laughs> <laughs> like people putting tinfoil on their heads. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Andrea. If Ortegas has got had gone and wore the hat, she'd been okay. Yeah. It's like shodding his hat. <laughs> <laughs> oh my days. Um the ringing though. Did anyone else really struggle with the ringing? I kind of imagine that it, that's kind of like have you heard of the brown noise? Like I don't imagine the brown noise is, is that far away from that. I don't actually know what the brown noise sounds like, so please don't ask me. But, yeah, that that's like, yeah, it's one of those noises that you think, yeah, this is I'm going to empty my bowel if I listen to this too long. <laughs> and actually, it's quite a bold choice because it was really it was really uncomfortable and really disturbing for us as well. And it went on for quite prolonged periods to the point where I was desperately wishing it would stop. And I, I think that was deliberate. Because they, the editors and director must have had to listen to that as well. So, um, but it was a quite, quite a, quite an interesting choice to kind of put your what your viewers through that same experience. Well, storytelling wise, or directors, producers wise, it's a, a visually and um, listening uh, audible, audible, yeah. yeah way of conveying that something has just gone and happened to your main characters and i thought they did that quite well because it happens a number of times during the episode where they they seem to regain a bit of memory and then they all of a sudden the, the ringing uh, sound comes along and they lose the memory again and i thought that was uh, effective in this episode mm. to be able to convey what's happening to each character 
I just want to, there's some really long films where I wish they used that technique. Just go, oh, 30 minutes on. That would be a <laughs> oh, vast improvement. Was it? There's one out at the moment. Uh, Lord of the, no, I shouldn't say Lord of the Rings. There's one out at the moment that goes on for about three hours. There's a few that are going on for about three hours. Open Arms is coming out, and that's going to be three hours long. And I think Indy's about two and a half, nearly four, three hours long. Oh, yeah, I still want to see that. I... Luke really reminded me of another character in another Trek episode where they go and visit a planet, and but I couldn't quite place him. It, it just it really felt reminiscent of something else, um, but I couldn't get there. Uh, no. Just me then. That's fine. Is it for? Is it Voyager? After I think it is Voyager. He just really reminded me of another, and I think kind of that use of language as well, talking about a tough forgetting and and kind of the pattern of speech that they gave him was really reminiscent of something else. Mm. Yeah, I couldn't couldn't quite place it. It was an interesting character, the Loon character. I mean. It, the way he suddenly appeared just to help them because he recognised the clothing that they're wearing, they've got to be with them. And then the way each of the crew realised that they didn't belong there, especially with, um, I've got now calluses on my hand, I shouldn't really be doing this. Yeah, I'm not and a working he's... person, I work at a desk. <laughs> we'd know in five minutes, we'd just lift up the axe and fall over and we'd be going, not for me, mate. Well, the way he was swinging that axe, and what what exactly were they mining for or doing? I just don't get what what's, what they were doing. Smashing rocks. I mean, isn't it just a sort of random labour that you give to the labouring classes to keep them occupied? Yeah, like a prison. Yeah, the pri there weren't prisoners, were they? Apart, well, apart from Pike and his crew, but the others weren't prisoners. They were all coming and going to do whatever they wanted to do. Well, but that brings us to the, our sort of philosophical uh, questioning, doesn't it? In that, weren't they prisoners? Because they were prisoners in their amnesia. They were, by not having the memories, they were prisoners outside rather than inside. And it's the outside that was causing them to lose their memories. They were oppressed. I'm beginning to like um, um, Andrea's sort of mm. theory a bit more now. This is the animal farm <laughs> sort of approach. Yeah, because they 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 would be feeling very differently if they were allowed to spend extended periods of time within the castle. They're the people who can't stay in the castle, where they would have their memories and be protected from the radiation. It's like inside out prison. Yes, I wonder if they actually did anything with the stones or just and the wood. No, well, anyway, it's only, it's only a story, isn't it? Yeah, well, well I just I did I just to get what they were actually being used for. Uh, so I thought I'd better ask in this. I was just going to say, I feel like this is totally on brand for a podcast that has discussed, like, does Starfleet have a HR department and where did everyone go to the toilet in that episode? So I, I, feel, like, I feel like we're fine to query this. I think this is, like, well found like normal. And I quite, I quite like the fact, though, that, that um, so the outside people, the, the forgetters, were almost um, kind of the opposite of Vulcans. So for the Vulcans, logic is their truth. But for the forgetters, it's the emotion. He, he actually says your emotions are your truth. So they're what you believe in. They're what you rely on. Which, again, is, is kind of I don't know where we're at as a society anymore because we're kind of all trying to get in touch with ourselves. But it's still very much that 
you know, certainly for, for us in the UK, you know, stiff upper lip and you can't have feelings. You just got to reason your way out of things. I, I mean, that thing about being the moment, being the moment, which you hear a lot, uh, you know, someone that, that experiences anxiety, people say, you know, live in the moment. Uh, you know, and try and I've the amount of lessons I've had in mindfulness of being the moment, and and that's the most terrifying thing you can do if you're having anxiety. So I did get a sort of like, um, if there was an anti mind, I'm sure there wasn't, but if I'm, I'm going to take it as a bit of an anti mindfulness as well, just be in the moment. No, I mean, th- in fact, there was um, uh, a church I did prayers this morning in church and it was about give up your burdens and take up the yoke and things like that and I would take the pressure off you uh, and it mentioned the word burdens on here as well and uh, although I did prayers I, I I just wanted to say fuck that you know uh, kick ass get angry yeah. um, cause trouble you know be and, that, and that's that's saying that's what I got from the episode is what makes us human is our feelings even the uncomfortable and nasty ones you're going on about the emotions being the truth. He, Luke is actually suppressing some of his emotions because he doesn't want mm. to remember his family. Exactly. Right? He just wants to go through his just mm. mundane life that he's got. And so he, he, he's suppressing his emotions. For, when he gets his emotions back, he gets all his memories back. And that's when he might become more of a whole person. But initially... He's not doing what he's not bringing his emotions to the front to be able to remember. If he remembered, if he remembered his emotions, his love, his life, his uh, hates, his uh, sorrow, whatever, he might then have a chance of trying to remember some of the, some of his past life. But he isn't. He's just going through the emotions each day, right? He might not be. He might be more of a Vulcan, I think, than um, Sarah might be thinking. <laughs> yeah I, I was just repeating what he said though um but I think you're absolutely right and I was um I read a book once I have read one or two um and they were talking about grief and loss and actually it being it, it being right and proper to feel that pain because it means that that person was loved that person that's gone was loved there's the whole idea about actually if it doesn't hurt then they didn't mean that much to start with. Exactly. Um, and again, I'm, you know, that's not for, for me to judge how people go through their own grief experiences. That's definitely not not for me. But that's that's always stayed with me, is that actually the loss of someone's meant to hurt. And that pain is, while not a good thing, it is that reminder that they were important to you. And I think he gets that at the end though. Um and it and it really did remind me of of um, Kirk in the Final Frontier, where he says, "I need my pain." Like actually, that's important to me because that's all part of my story and what makes me me. Yeah, and that's the thing as well, and that's why I think Pike realizes what matters to him, and that's what calls him back, the lost sailor, and that it's worth taking a risk on his relationship with Patel. It's worth the pain and the complications. I was going to say, just Pike's relationship, am I the only person who's feeling this is going to be doomed sooner rather than later? Like, I really feel they're kind of building this up for some, like, some disaster at some point this season. I don't know why that's just what the vibe I'm getting. I could be totally way off the mark, but that's just kind of 
I don't know. I think they've kind of had a bit of an off. It's like, no, I really like you. We're going to make it work. And I just thought, like, when we both understand our duties, and why do I feel like this is going to this is going to go horribly wrong um, in in the near future? Okay, I have thoughts, but we'll come to Suki first. Well, I was going to uh, their relationship. Uh, so you got uh, Pike suddenly torpedoing because stuff that happened, which was uh, affected by. Um, Una's trial uh, that's affected uh, the promotion for Battelle and he decides with all the baggage that he's got and his crew have got that it's all affecting the progress within Starfleet for uh, Battelle so he decides to torpedo it I just don't get that I, d- I didn't get it he- he's a guy that seems to like having friends and family around him he cooks meals for the crew right and he can work his way through these sort of issues but he decides for this particular moment, he's going to just let her go and not bother to uh, fight for I, I think in his defence, I think he thinks he's doing the right thing by her. I don't think it's necessarily what he wants to do, but part of their issue they have is that actually they never have enough time to have any of these kind of in-depth conversations. So when they try and do it, because they're limited on time, everything's really high stakes. It's not like they sit down every din- evening and, you know, chat over dinner where you can kind of chuck some of these ideas around and it's, you know, and work through them kind of, you know, night after night. It becomes we have to talk about this now because this is the only 30 minutes we've got. So I do think he was trying to be chivalrous. I think he was I think he was doing that for her. But typically not actually asking her what she wanted and whether that was an OK thing for her and um, I don't get them at all I get why they've given him a love interest and I do like her I don't get much chemistry from them but I think I am quite alone in that I just it all feels very functional uh, Andrea's shaking her head it just feels really functional like I'm going to come up and I'm going to deliver my line and then I'm going to walk away again but nothing between them feels particularly natural um, as a couple Yes, Andrea. I don't even think they kind of even when they're together, it's just it's almost it's like they're having a business. It's like a business meeting, isn't it? Yeah. I, I don't really get that. I don't know, and I don't know if that's just meant to convey some sort of character that they're both quite serious and and, and really kind of engrossed in the jobs. But but yeah, it doesn't feel yeah, it doesn't feel like that kind of a conversation. Like, but I felt like this from the very first episode where she's basically telling him to get back into Starfleet. I still didn't get anything from the two of them. She, I thought she was his sister to start with. <laughs> it took me a minute. <laughs> she was lying naked in his bed and you thought he was but, his sister. No, but you know what I mean? Like their interactions are like, they're just not, I don't know. It doesn't work for me, but I'm very happy for other people that it works for. And I think it is nice and I hope it's not going to be torpedoed. I think it is nice that they're trying to move away from the lonely captain who's had to sacrifice, you know, a kind of personal life for duty, even though it's all going a bit Pete Tong. But, yeah, I don't think whatever they're trying to do with the two of them isn't quite working. Sorry, Deb. Yeah, me. It's all right. I could see, I could (laughs) have a battle with with Suki here. What concerned me about their relationship is they were having a really romantic evening planned. He was cooking his mum's tomato sauce. She walks in and he's got Chateau Picard. 
I mean, you know, this is love, and he has that. And what's more, it's a screw top. Well, you know, I didn't romantic. like to well actually somebody on Twitter, but for a red wine, screw tops are better because there's less chance of corking. Yeah, not for but... a glass wine. <laughs> yeah, less chance of it corking because it never gets good enough. <laughs> Mind you, my, my, my wine here is a screw top. Now, yes. for a glass wine like Chateau um, Picard is supposed to be, you wouldn't have a screw top. I mean, this is definitely some dodgy stuff he's got off the back of a lorry somewhere. <laughs> Or he just stuck the label on the front, which is yeah. what you can do. Anyway, nobody likes it anyway. He's, he's that cheap. He's even had to... Uh, uh, when he was just pre-Jean-Luc, it might have been okay by then. Well, I shall bow down to your knowledge of wine because, you know, uh, you guys do sh- tend to uh, sh- show a lot of it when we're recording a podcast, as Debbie's doing right now. Um, the, the relationship, I can see what Andrew is saying. It could be... Could end up being torpedo, but uh, be a, a disaster happening at the end of the episode, at the end of the season, because they are using the actress a bit more this season because mm. she's in about three out of the four episodes. Yeah, so I could see her being you, and she's a really good actress because I, I, she was in a series called uh, Why Not Her, and she was absolutely brilliant in that. She could play serious and wacky crazy all in the same episode. So she's a really good top-notch actress, and I can see it uh, being utilised a bit more. But Torpe uh, being being uh, at the end of the season, I could also see where this could go. I could also see, uh, I think it was Sarah saying, like him having a love interest all the way through, even though it does seem to be like uh, business meetings and the odd thirty-minute dalliance uh, <laughs> over a meal, and uh, and then. Uh, that's about it, basically, because that's all they're going to get. Because she's busy, he's busy, and they keep getting interrupted every time uh, they, they get together. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. But I can see. I'm hoping she stays with the show a lot longer. Yeah, I, I really like her as an actress, and I really like I really like Captain Patel. I think she's a good, um, and I think it's it's good for him to have that other person. Um, that yeah, as he said, that understands the role he's doing because it it also makes him slightly less martyrish, I think, as well, which some captains can be. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll see where it goes, and I'm I'm hoping they're just not um they just don't look very pleased to see each other, considering they don't see each other very often. They're not they're not very tactile. Again, who am I to judge about how they run their relationship? I was just going to say, like, we clearly know that, like, once he had his accident, she's, like, off, like, shit off a stick because, like, she's nowhere to be seen and he wants to go back to the bloody place where Vina is. So, like, she don't stick around after he's, you know, I'm just saying, I'm not cast aspersions, but, you know, so either she gets bumped off or kind of doomed. The tactile bit, I think they were trying to be tactile. Remember, she was just walking straight up to him to give him a kiss. And there was a beep beep message, and then a bit later on, he's trying to walk up, come up to her again. Okay. Again, there's a message come through. They've just been interrupted all the while, and you ain't going to see too much, really. It's a family show. No, I'm not, I'm not expecting for a raucous sex scene. <laughs> oh. Equally, I generally watch it on a Friday evening while eating my tea. So you know, there's only so much a person can cope with. Um, <laughs> but you know, a little bit of. There was no kind of going to greet each other to start with. 
when she she just kind of plonked a gift on the on the on the sideboard. But if I hadn't seen my partner in quite a while, I'd be stopping whatever I was doing and giving them a big hug. But you know, there, there was there was that wasn't it? When she walked in, she walked in and and she went up to kiss him. But then they had the message, and that's you when they stopped. Then she I saw the wine. Yeah. Uh, I thought she just plunked the gift down. And he said, I didn't realise we were doing gifts. Okay, fair enough. Okay. I um, clearly wasn't paying attention. Deb? Yeah, I was just wanting to point out, I think me and Andrea would like to expect uh, raucous behaviour at some point. <laughs> I mean, even Luca got his top on. Oh, no. Even Luca got his top on. I don't want to be red shirt if I'm not mentioning Jason Isaac, so. <laughs> Job. Anyway, I think we've uh, I think we've picked apart their relationship sufficiently. Unless anyone's got any last thoughts on Pike and Batal, no. So poor Lan this week. I was a bit disappointed that she got to be all centre of attention and and being all brilliant last week, and then was kind of relegated to damsel in distress this week. I found that a bit. Yeah, a bit more sort of added to my discomfort with it. Um, but I can see you're all frowning at me. So, yeah, just me again. That's fine. We're not dissing anything that you say, Sarah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we are. We're like... thinking that was rubbish. She's not coming on again. <laughs> well, well, welcome back, Steve. Come on. Come back. I was just going to say that even though she's not technically a red shirt, she was the only person in in the sort of away team who wears red. So she couldn't be killed, but she had to be injured because she ha she is the one who wears red. And Fair uh, enough. Like, oh, that means you're like bottom of the pile. Fair enough. No, and I thought, but I thought the little bits that she did have, I thought her initial forgetting work was brilliant and just her confusion over how long it had been. Um, I, I I really love her. I think she's great, um, and I really enjoyed seeing her character develop a bit more last week. So it was a bit disappointing just to have her kind of lolling around in a on a rock this week. I just so the only reason we we're frowning was that that hadn't occurred to me actually. But you are right. I think a lot of people would just wanted to see more Pike. Um, but um, yeah, definitely more Pike. Yeah, well, he was on paternity leave, so that's why he wasn't in it. So it's like everyone moaning about lack of Pike. It's like, well, you can't film someone who's not physically there. It's not I, was thinking, I, I, mm, I like the fact that other characters are featured. I was just going to say, uh, the thing I've noticed, and I think we've definitely seen it before, is Mbenga and Lan have this kind of non-verbal little cue with the little teardrop thing. And I don't think that's ever been expanded on, but I'm really curious to know where that's come from. I feel like there's a backstory there that, and I don't know if I'm thinking, have I missed something? But I don't think that's ever been explained. No, and that would be really interesting. But again, it, it really highlights the fact that Laan thinks that she's kind of this isolated person, but we're already seeing that she does have these really kind of deep relationships with people on the ship, probably more so than she thinks she does. And, and that's another indication of that. Yes, Deb. This is why I really want to know Mabenga and Lan's backstory. What did they do during the war? I think there are going to be some things which um, they're both not comfortable with. And that's what, you know, to bring people together, they must have seen some pretty horrific things and done some pretty awful mm. things. And, you know, as in being the, the war doctor, he's a doctor that fights, you know, is prepared to, to fight dirty as well if he needs to. But yeah, is it is it the prisoner where you get the 
the, so uh, you get the tears, isn't it? It's the gang kill. But I do. Um, I'm really enjoying. Um, so you know, having said at the beginning that I didn't understand why Mbenga was had been sent, that doesn't mean I didn't like, I didn't enjoy his performance, or I didn't like the fact that he was sent. It just didn't make sense to me that he was sent. Um, I really. I mean, I, I think I said before I love him because he features really heavily in um, a series of novels that. Um, that I really, really enjoy. So it's really nice to see him portrayed like this. Um, and I and I love his relationships with people. They're sort of really quite genuine and yeah. warm and he, believable. He's yeah, he's uh, empathic and he, he he just feels what other people are feeling, and he responds to how they need uh, somebody to respond to. Uh, talk yeah. to them right so he, he knows how to interact with these people uh but as we mentioned this backstory of him being a fighter that will po possibly come out soon yeah right where you will find out everything what he did and uh, as i said i think in the first episode where we we think he he's still suffering some sort of ptsd because he does have flashbacks and chapel was the one that uh, who stopped him and I believe yeah. I expect others would also be there to stop him from going really, you know, batshit crazy. Basically, I really, I really enjoy their their relationship, their friendship. But I, I love, I love watching him and um, Chapel together as well. I think, well, I think Chapel, um, uh, Jess lifts everyone up. I think she's brilliant in every scene she's in and makes everyone else better as well. So, is this so, because yeah. of her profession? I wonder. No, uh, mainly. Um, <laughs> I love her. Uh, no, I genuinely think, I, I just, I think she's brilliant and I think she makes everyone else brilliant. I think anyone else who's in a scene with her is brilliant um, and is completely lifted. So she doesn't, she, she's brilliant without kind of taking over the scene. Like anything she's in is 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 great i love her portrayal of chapel and i and yeah and i love how generous she is towards her cast as well yes suki yeah you're right because when you do see it you tend to focus on her white costume blonde hair and she just lights up as you walk in and when she's interacting with the other characters again she has the same sort of ability that mbenga does and that she will be she's a character that can talk to everybody and that mm. can all interact with her without any back issues yeah, so Jess Bush, brilliant at what she's doing as Chapel. Totally agree with you. Yeah, she's 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 amazing. Who have we not talked about yet? Well, Zach, I guess. Yes. Um, what a yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have a feeling, did he he must have had some sort of really bad life aboard the Enterprise the last time they visited for him to really go off the uh, the deep end as he did here. Uh, because if he's been trained up as a staff, I mean, you expect some Starfleet officers to fall off, fall by the wayside. But the way he started, he must have been brought up with the Starfleet way of doing things. But then to just basically change the whole way of his training to become the leader of the, the society and uh, use his abilities and his technology to uh, dominate uh, the society that he's in. He must have had some really bad 
way of living aboard the Enterprise that he did, the interactions with other people, but just driving up the wall to be able to become such a dictator, basically. <laughs> what was it for you? What happened to you, Suki? I had to work with you, Deb. Right. <laughs> and I met you a couple of, on that one occasion. It's really drove, drove me up the wall. <laughs> I think you only have to look at any of the kind of social conformity experiments of the 50s and 60s to know that people do really weird things when they're put in strange situations. We all like to think that we're um, kind of, you know, we're all above it all um, and that we wouldn't react like that. But I think once it comes to survival, I think we are a very tenacious species. Um, so it is a bit more understandable. I mean, I don't. I think the crown was a little bit overkill, but, um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but there we go. He needed, he needed his own version of a crown, really, a, a helmet, to stop him from uh, getting all the uh, losing his memories. Anyway, sorry, <gasps> Andrea. I was just going to say, I don't know if it was just because there was a castle and it's like the one guy with the like advanced weaponry and it was kind of medieval looking, but I went straight to Army of Darkness and I can just imagine him giving me his little boomstick speech to like get everyone into line, so that's where I went anyway. If if you're going to be an evil dictator, why not have a crown? I mean, well, to be fair. Yeah. But um, it was the thing about Pike as well that he said, because Zach says... Uh, this planet changes you, and he goes, "No, it, it it shows who you really are." He was about to kill him, you know, in in cold blood, really, unarmed, lying there on the floor, going, ee! and he was about to shoot him. Um, so I don't think Pike should be having too much of a high ground. I think it was Suki gradually before. You know, if you want to be an evil dictator, you just carry on with a podcast, don't you? That's what <laughs> I've done. Anyway, sorry, Andrea, go on. I was just going to say, it wasn't me, but one of the comments in that scene was, do you not think Anson Mount could play a Terminator? And I was like, well, I wouldn't have said so before, but I'm kind of on board. Yeah, I can kind of see that now. So so I think he played that scene quite well, but but he, he did very much. He kind of gone, hadn't he? It was like, yep, I'm, I'm, I'm done now. But so. equally, being laughed at is one of the worst things. I mean, and I, I, so I, I had a lot of sympathy for him. He's just lying on the ground, mocking him and laughing at him. So this is a guy that's already been sort of put through the mill. And I think actually it tells you a lot about his strength of character that he was able to stop himself. Yes, he got to the point where he was holding the rifle. And yes, he, I mean, are there many people who could actually withstand that sort of battering that um, Zach's face took? I don't know. I thought that was quite impressive. I don't know if it was his magic helmet was helping with that as well. Um, but yeah, he did stop himself. So I hope we're not going to... I mean, we know that Strange New Worlds is much more episodic. I hope we're not going to get kind of um, Pike feeling a bit maudlin about his nearly awful actions in the ne next few episodes. Suki? So right at the beginning of... The, the start of this point, we did, I did say it got to a point where he became uncomfortable and this was the spot where he became uncomfortable was Pike just basically laying into Zach and the way he was doing it. I, I, I just couldn't think Pike even in his forgetful memory state would really be doing this sort of extreme violence that he was doing unless he was being attacked and this guy was not attacking him really. I mean there was a bit of pew pew -y. But that's about it. And then after that, it was a one-sided um, yeah. physical fight. That's frenzy. Yeah, and you just couldn't... I couldn't see Pike doing that. And when he came to the point where he's being mocked and, uh, you know, uh, Zach was... 
uh, it came to the point where, not not mocked, when Zach asked for mercy and asked, please don't kill me. And then that sort of triggered a, a little bulb in the pike's head saying, look, this isn't the way I do things. Maybe that was right. That that, that was true to his character, that he's not going to go out. He doesn't kill persons, people. right? So I could see that happening. But the bits up to him actually beating the living shit out of him. And the, as, as Sarah says, these are, they, you could see the, the way he was punching. It was like the whole body weight behind him. And it was just a really tough fight to watch. And it's tough to see one of your main characters, a beloved character, doing this sort of physical torture to a a guy that wasn't really fighting back. I I, kind of get it in a way, but it was only when he said, no, this planet shows who you really are, that... That I thought, oh, so you're really a guy that would kick the shit out of someone that's lying on the floor because, I mean, he's obnoxious, but, uh, and that was what made me think about it. That's what made me uncomfortable because we know the real Pike wouldn't, with his memories, wouldn't do that. So was he saying that that's who he really is, someone like that, or is it because that reasserted once Pike became Pike again, he knew he wasn't the person that would do that. I was just going to say, I didn't really think of it previously, but I was just thinking of the, the Black Mirror episode, White Bear, um, which is the one where she wakes up with no memory of who she is or, or or where she's been or what she's done and she's kind of being hunted. I don't know if anyone's seen that. And actually she turns out to be a, a deeply unsympathetic character that we don't root for, but it, it's just that idea that she's kind of almost like a blank slate when she wakes up and and I think that I think there's other things that have kind of played with that idea of if you can't remember who you are and what experiences have led you to be who you are are you the same person and there's some of the quite challenging themes in that it's quite dark but um but yeah I just thought of that like memento mm. I just said I just checked out what the next episode was about and um I don't think Erica gets to wear a funny hat <laughs> But it looks brilliant. <laughs> um, I think we might have reached the end of our deeper thoughts. Has anyone else got anything else they'd like to share? Very lim- I am very, I'm very limited in my deepest thoughts at any point. <laughs> Deep thoughts? That's not me, really. Andrea? Um, just me kind of last bits in my notes. Um, subdermal universal translators. Um and I think there are some references to kind of subdermal things in, in the original series, but then we kind of moved away. And the more I think about it, the more stupid it was to be so dependent on those daft little badges. Like, really, <laughs> lost badge, you're like, you're lost, aren't you? Like, you're done for. Like, you can't hear what anyone's saying and no one can find you. Um, so it makes far more sense, realistically. But I do kind of wonder if we're going to see more things like that. What I'm thinking is toilet breaks. You know, if you're constantly on with your, your whatever it is, you can see here everything. Whereas with the badge, you can switch on and off, basically, maybe. Fair point, fair point. Um, see, we always get back to toilets. Oh, well, um, yeah. you know, it's just a staple yeah. of our podcast. <laughs> um, well, to be fair, in, in those jumpsuits from Next Generation, like, good luck anyway, you'd be gone for a week. Uh, <laughs> I imagine Tellarite sonnets aren't very good. Um, they don't really strike me as the, the sort of arty type. I imagine you've got to be pretty committed to want to kind of translate those. 
Um, I was watching the TUS episode, The Ultimate Computer, the other day. I, you know, can you tell I'm re-watching season two at the minute because it seems awfully relevant. Um, and it does say that the qu- like, like quarters are on deck six. So there's a little bit of continuity for, for people who like that. I think one of Erica's models was the USS Shenzhou in Discovery. Ooh. And I, I think there was Enterprise in Shenzhou. So I don't know if that will ever be explained, but it was just a nice little touch. Um, I quite like the lighting. Um, there was a lot of pinks, blues, purples, and I'm sure someone who knows far more about cinematography than me can explain the, the reasons for those choices. But it, it kind of felt a little bit, even the outdoor stuff felt a little bit in a studio and retro, which I, I quite liked. I'm just wondering, you know, the outdoor scenes where you see the the whole of the uh, wide vista of the landscape and everything, like, was that done with the dome? Which you know, the, like the, the the video technology that used for uh, making the Mandalorian and stuff like, uh, where they've got the mm-hmm. LED screens everywhere, and you can just as you're walking, the whole background changes, so you like you you look like you're actually there at the. I'm just wondering, that seems to be really good special effects. I know they used it before uh, for engineering, where they used the down uh, video uh, system for the back to make a really big gigantic room i just wondered if they were using this technology again here it did have a little bit of a feel of almost filmed in a studio but i also think that i don't know if it's just me or a strange new world a bit obsessed with going to planets which are snowy and icy like it feels like the snow is to strange new worlds what the quarry is to like old school doctor who and what like vasquez rocks type environments are to like original series it feels like the the snow is a bit of a go-to and I, I don't know if that's intentional or it's not there as much as i think it is but i feel like they're in the snow a lot is it still is it filmed in toronto like disco is it it's just a convenient that yeah it's like, that's just snow. what the outside looks like <laughs> The bit I quite liked about when you were saying it's snowy weather-like and all this is they actually put the uh, the breath, the uh, the misty breath on some of the scenes. So if it's an indoor, if it is being filmed indoors, to be able to use the LED screens, at least they had the uh, the misty breath to be able to convey that it is a cold environment. I think the wine's kicking in here. I've got another side spot. I went to the Betchworth Quarry that they used to use for filming Blake Seven and Doctor Who episodes in the 80s and um it's now a landfill site so no one else can but i still have the mud i think on my boots it was this clay that would caked in you could never get it off yeah no i, I just thought i'd add a bit of interest into the conversation <laughs> no, actually, I was going to point out it was my birthday in a couple of weeks, but since I've just insulted you all, I was going to ask for a really supreme hat. But um, yeah, I'll wait until you like me again. That may be a while. You'll get you'll get um, a helmet made of tinfoil and be grateful. That's what you're <laughs> <Thank> you get. <laughs> I will. Be. Andrea, are you? Uh, where are you at with your list? Um, I'm, I'm nearly at the end. Um, I mentioned earlier about the Prime Directive. It's starting to feel like they might as well just print it on the ship's toilet paper. Um, <laughs> all that kind of to do in like Una's trial and stuff. It's like, oh, it's not very nice for those people here. So we'll move the asteroid that appeared here naturally a thousand years ago and make everything better for everyone because. Um, because that is in no way interfering with the natural progression of the planet. Like, but you know, we just hand wave that one. 
Um, I was just going to yeah. say, no mention of the... Go on. Sorry, so I was going to say I completely agree with you. It's like unless an alien species flung the asteroid at the planet, <laughs> it was naturally occurring, and therefore that was the natural progression of the planet. So yeah, I think that was a little bit of um, uh, uh, being uh, a bit generous with the law. But they knew that, didn't they? Who was it? He said that to was it Ortegas or Number One or Yuna? I can't remember. And they open their mouth and they go. Oh yeah, I completely agree with you. Yeah, they knew there was no mention of the Gorn this week, which they no. kind of teased in episode one and haven't mentioned since. They're definitely not pushing the art format, but part of me hopes that some little details of things are going to come together in the, the towards the end, a bit like the Bad Wolf storyline did in Doctor Who, where you didn't really notice the arc building, but it was because I do like it being episodic, but I would quite like. I yeah. quite like the idea of that reveal at the end that everything kind of strings Was together things. a little bit. Lovely. Thank you very much. Suki? No, I think that I've got now notes. Uh, as it says, I only managed to watch it once and uh, a little bit the second time, but that's about it. So no notes. Lovely. Deb, is there anything else you... I, I, I lovely. Hold on. Lovely. I, I... Lovely. Sarah, lovely. So you, you you just didn't want me to talk at all, did you? Lovely. No, I think I think it's lovely that rather than them rambling on about things that you weren't sure about. <laughs> I'm always unsure yeah, about that. But, but, but that's, what we, but that's go... what we do. That that is no. that is our thing. <laughs> <laughs> I get a feeling I'm not gonna get the cavern of Vinto this uh this series. <laughs> no. No, Unless Come everybody on. else is shit later on. You insult us. That's another thing we're good at already doing. <laughs> yeah. oh, All I was going to say is I, I don't do deep thoughts, particularly after two glasses of wine. But um, Yes, I don't have anything else to add. Not my fave, but you've um, you've helped me see some of the, the positives and I have enjoyed exploring some of the deeper and wider themes um, as we go forward. So, How many lights you see? Yeah. Oh! I asked how many lights you see. Well, I'm going to start with me. Um, I'm only going to give it two lights out of five. I really did not enjoy it. And I really did not enjoy the second watch either, um, which is quite unusual because generally you can kind of come to terms with an episode a bit more in the second watch. I don't think I've ever given anything two lights before, but uh, this was not for me. So, yeah. Uh, Suki, where are you with lights? Uh, I'm only going to give three lights because it says it, it was an okay episode, and but some of it was uncomfortable to watch, so mm. that just brings it down for me. So, three lights, Andrea. I'm going to give it four and a half. I loved it, it was so TUS y. It felt like, like it was like, oh, this is my lane, it made me super happy. So, I'll just well, I'll be the, I'll be the, I'll be positive for once. So it's not normally me who's like captain positive, but but this week it is me. Great, Deb. I was going to go three point five, but I'm going to go four because we've all been able to talk about it in a way that's given me more things to think about, and I I love sci-fi when it it gives you stuff to dwell on. Yeah, and, and also, I, but next week's going to be a five. It's a Spock episode. Yeah, and I think that's sci-fi at its best, though, isn't it? Is whether or not you actually mm-hmm. like how it's been presented. Is that it should get you thinking? It should get you thinking I, about. I, 
I met saying so first episode, I messaged um, Andrea and I said, I, I really feel this has really made me feel uncomfortable. This episode, I'm, not, I don't know what to think of it. I'm, um, it's creeping me out a bit. Uh, and then on the second rewatch, and also after going back and reading about lotus eaters uh, and the donuts, um, I kind of, I, I think I th- well, at least I got my my feelings about what it was about which is love and if if that was in the minds of the writers at all then that's got to be good isn't it oh that's a really nice way to to kind of end end our discussions on before we head to the uh listeners room we'll see what uh what everyone else has got to say about the episode Right, so we've got uh, Kat, and Kat says, I found this episode mildly interesting. I think of what they could have done, but what they did was less interesting. Wouldn't it have been better to show Spock's reactions to slowly losing its intellectual capabilities than Ortega's memory loss and miraculous recovery? Like, how did that happen anyway? Not explained. I fear Lieutenant Ortega's is getting to be a bit of a one-out character cocky, sassy, and not all that interesting. I love Melissa Navia on Twitter. I just think her character could use more dimensional writing. I really like the relationship between Pike and Battelle, and that they have to work at it. That seems real to me, as one who did the same as part of a dual career couple in the military. But we weren't very successful. Here's hoping Pike and Battelle have better luck. Here's what I think about the situation the crew have found themselves in. Everyone losing track of who they are and how do how to do things. They should have sent a distress call. But I guess they were, go- uh, they were too impaired even to think of that towards the beginning, when symptoms were rapidly spreading. That's their story, and they're sticking to it, I guess. Something I found off-putting and a wee bit distressing was a high-pitched tinnitus sound that they used to convey the initial disorientation of the characters. Could they have not done something else? Jesus! They should have had a warning on this episode. I did not like when Pike lost it and started beating the yeoman so hard. As a former yeoman, I felt this a little too much, but I guess it was to show us our hero was losing his grip. They were a little casual about Lon's injury. We'll just sit you against this rock and go fight our way into the castle in a death-defying series of gun battles Thank God they found a Starfleet medical kit in there. By the way, why are injuries treated with the person's clothes in the way? Uh, start that again. By the way, why are injuries treated with the person's clothes in the way? That makes no flipping sense. I'm sure Christina Chung's tummy is quite nice and she still could have been decently covered. Not that I necessarily want to see blood and guts, but at least show more accurately uh, how medicine is done. Uh, and also a bit more skin, maybe. Anyway, sorry. I liked Dr. Membenga in this episode. Yes, I'll fight, but it's a little depressing for me, a doctor to be assigned to a mission for my fighting skills. Babs is such a good actor. Any scene he's in is elevated by his presence. I like, I'm this, pretty bit. Sh- I like this bit. 
I'm pretty sure Deb and Andrea will have caught this, but Reed Burney, who played the man who was guiding them through the forgetting, played opposite Jason Isaacs in the excellent film. I did Mass. it. I didn't. I knew I recognised him. Brilliant actor. That's awesome. Thank you, Kat. Uh, oh, I liked Pike's hair in this episode, a variation of Pike's peak. Anson Mount is blessed with grey hair. When is the Enterprise going to find Prime Lorca? I really, really hope this will happen. It would be a great episode or two-parter if only Jason Isaacs was or will be available to film such. Do I mention this every week? Mm, I just might. Talk about cultural contamination. Is poor Yeoman X going to put the, uh, be put to death for violating the Prime Directive? I hope not. Maybe he could have a good career as a lecturer. Now, Kat's, uh, Kat's uh, rating for this is three lights out of five. Cheers for that, Cat. Reed Burney. I knew I recognised him. Oh, and, and if you don't watch Mass, please watch Mass. It's amazing. Amazing. It's not depressing at all. It's very hopeful and positive, and uh, it's got Jason Isaacs in it. <clears throat> I keep mentioning Cat. Okay, so I've got Jack McMorrow. One episode this season is named after a voxel. This after a lotus. Ha-ha. Lan drove a hot rods too. Someone at Strange New Worlds likes cars. I like them, even if I can't drive. I like Nurse Chapel's new hairstyle. I imagine few notice this and emphasise I'm not some creep. <clears throat> I like the fact it has continuity with the original series in the cage via Regal 7. It's been about 39 years since the cage was filmed. I think so. I wonder if this is the longest time we've had for a continuity callback. <clears throat> Criticism I keep hearing in this series has been the lack of Anson Mount. I don't understand this myself as he was quite substantial in the Voxel Astra episode. Trek always has stretches where the bridge crew would be main for an episode, then limited to cameos or less for a few after. I feel he keeps up my assessment. He is basically Space James Bond. Although this could be challenged by Erica Ortigas this week. A fitting metaphorical telling of how depression actually runs its ugly course and a bit more accurate than the Voyager episode Night, where Captain Janeway suffers from it throughout and is basically hunky-dory by the end of it. Mm. This episode's general reception would doubtlessly improve with rewatches and age to help the metaphorical tannins mellow. Upon first watching, I wasn't overly impressed in comparison to the other three episodes of the series so far. Overall, this episode, I felt, was not much special, but had something to do to it that I wasn't fully appreciative of. I'm sorry I keep pausing, but I haven't read this before, and I'm agreeing with you, Jack. Um, but then I remembered I saw it on my first morning off after a few days at work. A follow-up viewing is definitely recommended. A grower, not a shower. But size doesn't matter. It's something I've heard. Three missing memories out of five. Okay, so I've got Rachel, also known as Schrodinger's librarian, who did a fantastic job of, of stepping into the breach last week. Um, so a good episode for Pike as well as for Ortegas. I fly the ship. The away team working together and fermenting revolution was classic Trek. And Pike's new necklace and his ground and talisman was a nice touch even if it did feel a bit contrived. 
I'd like to see more of Pike and Patel together rather than just being told that this is an important relationship. Melanie Scrafano is a solid actor and it doesn't feel like she's been given a chance to show what she can do in this role. Yeah, so Babs Olesamonkin is phenomenal as always. This season, we've seen Mbenga worry that his skills as a fighter define him more than his medical expertise. But when he doesn't remember who he is, he is still a healer. This story gets four totems out of five for solid Trek storytelling and excellent ship flying. So then we've got Dave Kay from the Doctor Who Show podcast. So he says, for me, Strange New Worlds is at its best when giving us weekly adventures exploring Strange New Worlds. And this episode absolutely delivered that in style. Great to see Captain Pike taking centre stage again and Anson Mount put in a very strong performance. No notes. 4.2 lights. P.S. I've been watching The Crowded Room with Tom Holland this week and Jason Isaacs has turned up for a few episodes. I thought the uh, <laughs> TTO team might want to know. Thank you we very know. much. Oh, yeah. 4.2. We, we know. Jack. There you go. I did, I, I did, I did tell him uh, the team basement have probably already knew about it. <laughs> <laughs> I know what Jason's filming at the moment as well. Okay, so we've now got a new person to the podcast, and that's uh, Murray Christensen. Uh, enjoyed the episode, and it was good that just about everyone got something to do. Also, took me ages to really realise the planet is the one we see in the cage. Effectively, the mission before the events of that episode, so some fun continuity as well. Uh, welcome, Murray. I, I just like when we get a new person writing, we do do. Uh, a welcome dance and we are all doing this at the precise moment it's just a shame you can't see it because uh uh it's audio i'm doing it topless <laughs> true i have drew really enjoyed this episode felt like a proper star trek story clever but dark at times tiny bit rushed at the end if they run out of screen time solid four lights out of five thanks drew so I've got Tom Turlow, who says a solid enough episode, which had the unusual bonus this series of actually featuring Captain Pike. It felt like very trad trek. I don't think there was anything especially remarkable about it, but it was a fairly good watch. Three lights out of five. And then we've got uh, David, so David Paul. Lotus Eaters, a reference to Greek myth, I think. A story of identity, loyalty and duty. The loss of memory storyline affected me. All main characters had their moment and nice to see the captain. Four and a half lights out of five. Uh, we've got Marcus Squares and he says, thoroughly enjoyed this one. A great ensemble show, but a relief to our Pike back centre stage. Mount's captain is the linchpin for all that's good about this show. A really good character driven piece this week when we see more of Pike's personal life. And there was a really interesting question as to how ruthless memory loss Pike, uh, memory loss Pike could be. If he hadn't got his memories back, would he have killed Zachary? We'll never know. <coughs> the crew wandering about like zombies imbued a real sense of peril. And then we had Ortega's moment and the chair uh, inducing moment when she realised, I fly the ship. <laughs> the getting the magic castle and massive drain, brain damage is cured felt a tad simplistic. But I'm still giving this 4.5 lights out of 5. Because I loved it. Cheers for that, Marcus. From Dave Moore. What a good episode. I wasn't entirely convinced by the performances of the cast. The forgetting each other just didn't wash with me. But I actually think the fault of the, this lies with how well the cast get on. 
I think if it had been a first season story before they had all gelled and got to know each other, then the forgetting would have been more convincing. Still an enjoyable episode, and it's always a plus having more Jess Bush. So I've got Jennifer Lee Rossman, um, another one of our guests from this season, um, who says, well, we finally got significant Pike content, but the plot of the episode meant we didn't get as much interaction with him and his crew as I would have liked. His relationship with Patel still sort of perplexes me. It seemed like they were very casual captains with benefits, and now she's very important to him, and I feel like we didn't get to see when that changed. I think his main issue with commitment stems from the fact he knows he only has 10 years left before the accident, and I hope he will learn to live in the moment and enjoy his life anyway. And if Patel is the one to help him with that, I hope she's good to him. Maybe I should stop calling her pancake bitch in my head. (laughs) 3.7 lights out of 5. I never really thought about the context of like Pike yeah. being on a timer and so that's that's really good, Jennifer. Yeah, that's really kind of that's something we didn't really think about at all. So that's mm. a good one. Thank you. No, that was a good point. I was exactly the same thinking. Oh yeah. Hi guys, how are what, you? What an appearance. Yeah, it's very creepy. That was actually very creepy. <laughs> we should there. explain. He just emerged upwards from the floor. <laughs> That's where I keep him. <laughs> I can believe that. Um, shall I do my review bit then? Yes, do your yep. review. Okay, I quite like this one. I do like a good classical reference with the Lotus Eaters, and and I do like a good philosophical "what is it to be a person" type story. And this one was sort of getting us to think about um, what are we if we're not our memories, and what do we become if we haven't got the lessons we've learned about who we are to guide us through life. Um, I thought it was a bit similar as an idea to that um, Next Gen episode, Disaster, when they all, no, Conundrum, Conundrum, where they all lost their memories and they had to work out who they were and uh, but it was a bit more serious than that one, which was good. Um, and uh, yeah, overall I thought it was, I preferred it to last week's episode. So, and I don't do bits of lights out of five, so I'm gonna, I can't give it a five, so I'll give it a four, four out of five, it's good. Thank you very much. Thanks. Thank you, Steve. Go back into your cupboard. I'll go. I'll go back in the cellar now. Bye. Somewhere in the dark and nasty regions where nobody goes stands an ancient castle. Deep within this dank and uninviting place lives Burke. Hello. Overworked servant of the thing upstairs. Burke, feed me. But that's nothing compared to the horrors that lurk beneath the trap. Door, for there is always something down there in the dark waiting to come out. We've got uh, Bruce Wayne. And Bruce says, um, the Lotus Eaters of legend were vegetarian stoners, happy eating of plants and forget. Problems only arose when Odysseus and crew, blown off course, ended up on there. The crew lost their memories and desired to return home. Not necessarily a fair comparison as the people of this planet weren't choosing the memory loss. They were more like horses that had wandered into a marijuana field or idiots that had had picked up the Daily Mail. The episode is an exploring contemporary issues story where people will take what they want from me, 
whether that's just the effects of Alzheimer's or the insidious use of control mechanisms to keep individuals and or society under the yoke. No point talking at length about that. Social media is already awash with such discussions, from mild corner conspiracies to full-on vindaloo with extra-spice nutjob ranting, so go and choose your own flavour. The fact it gets people talking is the important thing, that it was well-written, acted and produced a plus. Uh, enjoyable with deeper meanings if you want them, or laser rifle action sequences if you're a paid-up member of the Sack Kurtzman Brotherhood of Knobs. But there is a real problem here, the Gorn, a story arc set up in episode one that has vanished. Are we just waiting around like saps for a Marvel-esque post-credit scene where the Gorn uh, to pop up in the series finale, say hi, and then we go to to be continued splash. The point of series arcs is regular progress, even if that's an adjunct to that week's story. In a 10 episode series, that's all the more important but on this, we've seen as much action as a nun in a hermitage. If something doesn't happen soon, I'm going to deduct light. So from someone waiting until a star is gone, this is a four light episode for me. Cheers for that, Bruce. That's his fourth gone pun in a row. <laughs> He's doing well. Uh, we've also got some audio feedback from Steve Hatcher. Hi, this is Stephen Hatcher from the Hoover's Doctor Who group. And we come to episode 4 of Strange New World Season 2, Among the Lotus Eaters. A title which is a reference to Homer's epic poem, The Odyssey, in which Odysseus comes to an island where the locals eat the fruit of the lotus tree, a strong narcotic which causes them and any visitors to the island to sleep in contented dreams, forgetting friends and family with no desire ever to leave. And at last this year, we have an episode which is primarily a Captain Pike story. The episode opens with Chris attempting, despite interruptions, to have a romantic meal with his girlfriend, Captain Battelle. Uh, when Chris discovers that Battelle has not received an expected promotion in petty revenge for her role in Una's trial, he feels very guilty about the whole thing and breaks up with her. But Chris doesn't have time to mope as the Enterprise receives orders to proceed to Rigel 7 where they, five years ago, lost three crew members in an unfortunate incident and where there's very clear evidence of cultural contamination from the Enterprise's previous visit. Pike needs to clean up, clean up that mess. On arrival, the situation is even worse than it appeared. One of the presumed dead crewmen, Zack, is not only alive, but has set himself up as a god-king, arming his guards with phaser rifles. The planet is awash with a strange radiation causing everyone not in the shelter of the palace to lose all their memories. Soon, Pike, Mbenga and Laan are being forced to smash rocks, with no idea of who they are, or where they came from. When the radiation effect begins to uh, also when the radiation begins to affect the crew of the Enterprise in orbit, com everything seems completely hopeless. Well, at the risk of being boring, this is another really rather good episode. It's nice to see a bit more of Pike this uh, for the first time really this year, and a bit we get a bit of an insight into his life away from work. The relationship with Battelle is both believable and rather touching. It's a sad moment when he seems to have thrown it all away, and really lovely at the end of the episode when the couple come back together. 
We see more too of the deep friendship between Chris and Una. It's she who counters him after the breakup with Battelle, advising him that even captains deserve some joy in their lives. One of the features about this episode I really loved was that, the, that at the height of the crisis, with none of the Enterprise crew aware of who they are, everything seems lost and there's no hope whatsoever. In Star Trek, the protagonists, and usually the viewer as well, can see the way out of whatever crisis they're facing. But not here. And this it, all is really bleak and utterly hopeless. Of course, it's Pike's feelings for Battelle, as symbolised by the medallion she's given him, and his concern for the injured Lan, that leads him to do what he has to in order to resolve the situation. The clincher for me with this episode that makes it a really top-notch one is just the, quite simply the plot. This could so easily have been an original series, an original series episode. The idea of, a, of Starfleet having uh, a Starfleet visit having contaminated the culture of a primitive world has been done several times over the years, perhaps most noticeably in the original series episode, A Piece of the Action. Likewise, the bitter, accidentally abandoned crewman is not a new idea. We've seen that in all sorts of science fiction shows. We've seen the Enterprise crew succumb to a narcotic substance too, causing them to forget their duty. Most notably, I suppose, in the original series episode, This Side of Paradise. Can anyone ever forget Spock in that episode? So, it's an episode with few new ideas, but it's also a beautiful synthesis of some old favourites. All these things together make Among the Lotus Eaters a classic Strange New World episode. It occurred to me, actually, it's... Perhaps the episode of all the ones we've seen so far over the two series that I might want to show to somebody who had not seen the series so far because I think it gives a really good idea not just of what Strange New World is but what Star Trek series can be when they're done really, really well. Okay, well, I hope to talk to you again next week about another episode of Strange New World. It's really shaping up to be rather a splendid series, isn't it? Okay. Talk to you soon. Cheers for that, Steve. I woke up this morning, put on my red shirt. Oh, fantastic! So that brings us on to the important part of uh, this endeavour, um, which is our red shirt of the week. Suki, do you want to go first? Who are you nominating oh. this week? This week is going to be Deb. Uh, reason being, right, oh, good grief. You, what you give me a look like that for? A uh, couple of times she's just walked off, right, without switching her mic off, right? And so you, you can hear everything. It's just rustle, rustle, bang, bang, crash, crash. All this editing I've got to try and do, right? And I know she deliberately does it. But for, so this time round, come on, bub. Come on. So, Deb. Okay, one for Deb. She's looking worried. Andrea? It's going to have to be Deb, I'm afraid. Um, Largely because I feel like she's holding up a mirror to like what it's like podcasting with me after two glasses, like large glasses of wine. So I I feel called out and and, and I don't like it. (laughs) 
See, I was going to mention the drinking as well, but I thought, no, I can't. I can't. Not with uh, all of you being wine drinkers. So I, I thought I'd leave it and let it go. Well, I'm going to do it for you, actually, Suki, because I also was planning on voting for Deb because she's been uh, quaffing her wine and nibbling on her snacks when all I have is a glass of water. Um, and I just don't feel like that's fair. It's not very um, uh, utilitarian. Um, and I think if she has wine, I ought to have wine. So, yeah, sorry, Deb. It's you. I think that's you, a goner, then. How do you know it was wine? It might not have been. It might have just You been... said several times you were drinking wine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Memory I, loss is I, kicking I, I, I'm sorry. I did mean to mute the mic. I needed a wee. It's one of the perils <laughs> of drinking wine. And I'm not at work tomorrow. Go on, then. Uh, not, I got a vote yet. Deb, who are you voting for? Sarah. <laughs> Why? Because, because, well, you're a friend now. I don't vote for, for people that we're not friends with. But also, two, two lights. Come on. And you're... I, well, yeah, I know. And, and maybe it was the noise, but it just... It might have been. It really... The whole episode really irritated me. Plus, so, you keep... Plus, you keep your husband on the floor. <laughs> I mean, that's not his usual place, but, you know. <laughs> um, Andrea. <laughs> I've already got Deb's fit ready. Oh, good. Go for it. It's a fit worse than death. She has to go to Rigel 7 and forget who Jason Isaacs is. Oh, oh that is cruel. That is really cruel. Good luck with your forgetting, Deb. <laughs> I hope it's a smooth transition for you into... Uh, Blissful ignorance. Sarah, Sarah, how have you enjoyed your return to the podcast? And have you I've, lived up to easy standards? I have really enjoyed it. Um, I Yes, I would have um, preferred an episode that I had enjoyed more. Um, but you have all been, um, yes, very... I was going to say useful, but that sounded... That's not the right word. <laughs> It has been really good to hear um, your guys' thoughts on it and actually to get me to think about it a bit deeper as well, as opposed to just being a bit annoyed by it. And I was desperately, desperately trying not to uh, be really negative and complaining. So I hope um, I have not done that too much, but I have very much enjoyed being back. So I believe next week you have the uh, benefit of Mr. Davis and uh, his thoughts and musings. So uh, good luck to you all. Thank you. If, well, if this is good. If it's as good as um, it sounds, sorry. You can always come in and, and give your bit anyway. Well, we'll we'll, uh, we'll see how that goes. So I guess it's just time for us to, to finish up and, and say goodbye. So thank you all for listening. Thank you to those who have sent your feedback in. It's uh, very much appreciated. And please do make sure you, you share your thoughts on next week's episode in time for us to record next Sunday. Uh, so it's goodbye from me and from the rest of the crew. Bye. 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 So where did we where did we get to? Well, my wine glass is nearly empty. Well, not that way. <laughs> I'm not at work tomorrow. Yeah. In that case, I'm definitely going to use you to uh, do this uh, podcasting thing that I want to <laughs> use. Uh, I'll so I, I really felt that Luke reminded me. I'll do a minute. I'll do a minute. Oh yeah, start again and then stop it. I, I just like giving Suki something to edit.
<laughs> carry on, carry on. I'll stop you again in a minute. Take out the dead air. Yeah. <laughs> I have so, to do uh, Don't know. Don't know. Oh, Edit that it? bit out because it was rubbish. No worries. All your bits. Yeah. Just, just yeah, edit out everything that bits. I've said that isn't clever and then just keep in 30 seconds. This is all getting left in. It's yeah, all I am. This is going to be the end of the episode. This is. Birthday. Is that Neville? That is Neville. He's just hey, Neville. So Neville. He's just groaning in the background. I might get someone to take him away in a minute. Neville. Um, Neville. Yeah, I think I. Neville. Don't forget that. Where's Neville? Neville. He's a good boy, Neville. No, he's just lying there. Sorry. Mm. If he gets up later, I'll show him to you. He's not a good boy. (laughs) (laughs) He's definitely not a good boy. Greetings. Hello, Steve. How you doing? We're doing okay, mate. We're doing okay. Did you just push me out of the way? I did. Surely people want to see me. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for that. This is is, is the telepike all over again. The way you sort of collapse to the corner. Oh, <laughs> so should we do order? <laughs> <laughs> giggle, giggle, shush! Come on, giggle, shush! Oh, Steve, don't do this, man. <laughs> Thank you for listening and you can find us all on Twitter as a group. You can find us on at Trekless Out Pod or you can go to our Facebook page at Trekless Out. Just uh, Google that. Uh, you can find me uh, on Twitter as uh, sidemat underscore 151. So you can find me on Twitter as at Vintage1983V if you're into Star Trek shitposting um, and a lot of other thirst. Um, if you particularly like to follow me Star Trek art, um, have a look on Instagram for Vin of the Basement. Uh, and I'm just Lofty, L-U-F-F-D-E-E on Twitter. But if you are interested in knowing our obsession about Jason Isaacs, um, you can find me, Kat and Andrea posting weird stuff about Jason Isaacs. Hashtag Team Basement. <laughs>